Now on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, this is Sports and Faith. Hi everyone, I'm Mark Curran and I'm here today in the WSFI 88.5 FM studio and we have our Sports Faith Banquet coming up and one of the inductees, Father Martin Luboyera, did I say it right? Yes, right, that's it. So it's not a, a last name that we see a lot in America historically because you are from Uganda. Absolutely. And so, you know, I, I might have guessed like Italian. It's not Italian. No, it's not, actually. It's, it does it a Portuguese background. And so, Father, you are a Roman Catholic priest. You were ordained back in... In Uganda, in Kampala. And what year was that? In 2013. And you're now an associate pastor at St. Joseph's in Libertyville, which is right next to the WSFI studios and one of the larger parishes in the Chicago Archdiocese. And we are very, very grateful to have you. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for your vocation. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for for being here. Father, you're being nominated and inducted for soccer. Can you tell us a little bit, begin with your family and what it was like growing up in Uganda? I am very honored to be given this award. I had a very interesting story growing up because uh, in Uganda, all the kids, especially the boys growing up, the primary game they can play is soccer. So like any other country, maybe Brazil, soccer is like a region in Uganda. It's the next region, actually. Uh, so as a child, both my parents, my mom, my dad is a physician and my mom is uh, a professor at the university. So they had four kids, including myself, and then they adopted other three. So we grew up with seven kids in the house. You know, us parents always ask their kids, so what are you going to do when you grow up? So, of course, everyone was saying, oh, I'm going to be a physician, I'm going to be a teacher. Those are the careers of my parents. So then I just kept quiet eating my dinner when they asked those questions I never answered. So one of my mom asked me, Martin, what are you going to do when you grow up? I say, I am going to be a professional soccer player. How old were you at the time? I was four years old. And she almost got a heart attack. Because <laughs> she says, what? I say, yeah. Ask me, what, what makes you to be a soccer player? I say, well, I see them on TV, having all these fancy cars, have all the money they need. I'm going to be one of them. And that's, my mom wasn't very happy with my answer. Of course, my dad even couldn't even imagine it. So uh, at the age of six, I joined the soccer academy on my, vil- in my village, local village. And then uh, at age around eight, I was recruited by Kampala Kids Village. Now, this is like uh, the junior academy for the national team. And then I joined my soccer life. It began. To so you don't just join those teams, though. You have to be of a very high-caliber player to be able to be part of that. Oh, of course, yeah. It was, there's a lot of competition to be recruited by them. Yeah. So they come to you. You don't go to them. Right. So you already have the skill set, the talent to play soccer potentially professionally, or they wouldn't have let you in the academy. No way. They have to know that you have sp- you are special, yeah. and then you have the talent they're looking for then because these are always very limited numbers of openings on right in the term so if they come to you it means they have identified something in you that they are looking for so that's how it was at the age of eight I joined this complex village and I was on my way to becoming my attain my dream it was until during this time I traveled around the world prayed in Europe in Asia in South America and I spent some time like six months in Barcelona in their soccer academy this was when I was 12. 13, I was, that's when I, I, almost signed, I was signing my first contract as a junior contract. 
So that's pretty exciting to be a young man or a young boy and to be seeing the whole world and, and staying in hotels and traveling with your some friends and what have you. Was it was it an exciting period? It was a very exciting period, especially, you know, you get caught into this moment yeah. whereby you become the center of attention, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, were you a person of status? Because you're a soccer player, kind of like over here, athletes are like rock stars. There's almost a form of idolatry towards them. It's like, oh, there they are. So I assume that was the case for you over there as well. Absolutely. It was a kind of a moment whereby everyone looks at you in the country because you woke up in the morning, you're on the front page of the newspapers. Yeah. Even if you don't know what you, what they're talking about you, if it's true or not. Yeah. Then, uh. Was your family fairly well-to-do over there, being a doctor and, an, and a uh, teacher? Yeah, I can say middle-income middle, middle family. Yeah. So, yeah. So, middle-income over there means a lot less than it, it does over here, I assume. Oh, way less, yeah. 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 It means that uh, my parents had enough money to take us through college. Yeah. To provide meal for us, meals for us. Yeah, and what were meals, like, typically... Typically, it can be like a plantain, beef stew, yeah. uh, sweet potatoes, yams, yeah. a lot of grains. But fish. not over here, the middle class family might be eating steaks and stuff. Oh, yeah. Here, I think uh, middle class, you can't even imagine it. When they call it middle yeah. class, you must be the billionaire back there. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're taking us through your early, almost your teen years as a soccer player, and then what happens? So what happens, at the age of 12, my cousin was recruited into the team also. And he's... Uh, His name is Ivan. 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 So Ivan was recruited into the team, so I was so happy to play alongside with him. So then what happened, actually, it was a tragedy, but it was really good because uh, uh, the guy who used to play that number uh, was broken. His leg was broken. And then the alternative was to look for Ivan. He had to be the second backup. Then after from that moment, then... He became his number. So it was fun traveling with him, doing things with him. We are the closest and best friends. And uh, so when I was 13, we were playing against a team from, from, from Nairobi in Kenya. This was in Uganda. So I was playing with my, my cousin, Ivan, alongside. He was, was, he was playing number nine, I was playing number 10. So we were all strikers or forward, as you call it here. And uh, during the game, like 30 minutes within the game, was struck by lightning and died in front of me. Who was struck by lightning? My cousin Ivan. Oh my gosh. So yeah, that's what the moment where so I know something happened because uh, even if I was young, we had these white new uniforms. Yeah. But there was like a big a big thunder, then lightning came. You know, when thunder comes, everyone closes, falls on their faces. So when he get up after the thunder, he wasn't getting up. I looked at him, his uniform was all black, burnt. I realized something wasn't right. So, when... So, d- w- did the lightning probably hit his spikes or something, right? Or and then shot up through? Yes. Because d- does lightning hit a person direct? I don't know if that's... Tr- I think it has to hit the metal first. Uh, or a tree or something. I, I think I think it's it like him, like his shoe, through his shoes. Yeah. Then I'll struck. Right. Yeah. So, wow. that's how it was. And... Uh, it was a moment of unbelievable moment, anyway. Wow. The ambulance came, picked him out from the, from the field, took him to the hospital, but I knew he's dead. But then the coach was telling us, oh, he's your... Was he dead at the, right away? 
or did he struggle for a bit? I, I saw him struggling. You saw him struggling. Until the pal- paramedics came in, took him away, into the ambulance. So why didn't they call the game when they saw lightning in the sky? Or why wasn't there a warning in advance where they sound a horn? Well, the car war is, wa- wasn't yet advanced to that moment, so knowing that, okay, it's going to strike, thunder is coming. So what year is this? Uh, this was like uh, in uh, 1997. So we had all that stuff by 1997 and long before. So you're just a much less developed country. Oh, yeah, it is. So that's why they don't have that. No. Was there any, could you see lightning in the sky prior to the lightning that hit your cousin? We knew it was going to rain, but we didn't didn't think it was going to. So that was like the first strike that got really close. Oh, yeah. When it was raining, we had the thunder, but then we were playing. We didn't think it was going to be dangerous. So what happens then? I, I imagine that had a big impact on you. Yes, that was uh, the moment which really brought my my life into question. What I'm doing, because after s- uh, when it was taken away, the game went on. Of course, I didn't have the courage to play. Then I was substituted. I moved out of the game. Another guy came in. Then at the end of the day, uh, after the game. Yeah, I wouldn't say you didn't have the courage. It's just that you. You were in gr- you were grieving in your you know you reflective on what was going on you couldn't give your attention to it. Oh I, yeah, m- all my mind was on him and right. how is what's right. going th- what he's going through. So at the end of the game, then uh, the coach tells us that uh, Ivan is dead. So then. Uh, oh uh, my gosh! It was a moment of mourning. The whole team was sad. The whole country was mourning. Wow. So then, but what is interesting is that uh, Ivan's mom, she was a very spiritual woman. I used to call her a saint. And uh, she went to the church every day, said her rosary every day. So what was very painful is that uh, uh, the day we buried Ivan, we didn't have a priest. All the priests in the diocese had gone on a retreat. So no one had to do the funeral mass. And Ivan's mom was crying, my son is buried without mass. So for her, the death of the son wasn't the most painful thing. But being buried without a funeral mass, that was the most painful. So why couldn't they delay it till a priest got back from the retreat? Yeah, normally for us, uh, when someone dies in Uganda, it takes two days. You have to bury them within the two days. That's when they do, yeah. So, so what did you just have... Uh, what type of ceremony did you have? So they had a uh, like a catechist to lead a, a prayer service. Yeah. And then they did the no funeral. Eucharist. No Eucharist. No. Wow. So, just trying to get a sense for this area. I mean, you got to realize, Father. I think most Americans know nothing about Africa, and they probably have no interest in going there. To be just to be fair, <laughs> in Uganda, you know, I mean, I don't think, I don't think that you know. A fraction of 1% of our country could pick out where Uganda is on a map or anything else. Is, is that Catholic? What's it like over there? Uh, it's dominantly Catholic. Uh, the population of Uganda right now is like 40 millions. But of course we have uh, like 3 million refugees in the country. Uh, but um, from this, I can say that 75% is Catholic. Wow. So the Catholics are the majority in the country. Wow. Is there a lot of uh, people living in great poverty? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I can say that uh, 60% of the population lives below the poverty line. Is that an area that's affected by the AIDS epidemic? It was uh, affected, in, I think, in late 80s and early 90s. 
really, really much. She was affected. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, my mom has a school that she's running. And originally, the school was for kids with AIDS. Yeah. So, yeah, it was affected kids much. Kids who were born with AIDS. Yeah. But also, again, with the pop- because of the political s- situations, there is unemployment, there is all of poor leadership. That's why the country is really in a mess. Right. Yeah. So how did, th- was it through prostitution or what that the AIDS epidemic spread so? No, it wasn't actually prostitution. It was, uh, people were just ignorant how it spread. Yeah. People just got married without knowing one of them has the, the virus. And then they found out later on. Then in a shock because then most of them became like stigmatized. Those who had the disease. Some committed suicide. Others don't have, didn't have good treatment like we have today it wasn't available for them because today we have the ARVs that help people to live with the virus but back then people didn't know yeah so was the response of the country less than Catholic as you would hope in in terms of these are kind of like modern-day lepers you know of what Christ existed during Christ's time we're called to love these people but did you feel like that they were more judgmental as opposed to loving them I think it was because uh, people used to identify AIDS with prostitution. Maybe you did something wrong. Yeah, that was my impression as, as to why it was so rampant over there. Yeah, but most of them it wasn't a prostitution. Yeah. It, it was uh, because AIDS, AIDS came from Tanzania and had Uganda. Yeah. And uh, it was during the Amin War whereby Tanzanian soldiers came to Uganda. So historians say it's because they're from Tanzania, they must come with this. And some of them stayed in Uganda, especially in one of these small regions in Masaka in Uganda. That, that was not much. Did you have wars going on while you were growing up? I grew up when the wars at all are finished. Yeah. But before that, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, they all wars. Yeah. Yeah. So, Father, let's go back. Your cousins died. You are a member of this elite uh, national soccer team. Your future appears as though the sky's the limit as far as playing soccer. You could be um, the equivalent of a uh, Tom Petty or a, a Bruce Springsteen over there. Those are big rock and roll stars in, in America. And you have that kind of fame and everything. But what happens? What happens after the, uh, the funeral of my cousin? It took me like three months to go up to Blissock again, to get the courage to go back and play again. But every time I went back, I had all these nightmares and memories. Mm. So soccer was not, wasn't fun anymore, but it was kind of a torture. Wow. So it was uh, then, but every time I went to bed to sleep, I, ha- I could hear my, my aunt crying. My son oh. is buried without mass. My son Jeez. is buried without mass. So those kept on coming back in my mind all the time. And then I woke up in the morning and told my parents, Mom and Dad, I have decided... I'm going to become a priest. And uh, I said, yes, I think my dad... How old are you? I was 14. My dad got a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> when he had that. He told me, no one is a priest in your family. <laughs> so I told him, well, I'm going to be the first one then. And uh, one thing I remember telling me, said, I'm going to pray for you that they kick you out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so because when I told him... Was it a class thing for... Uh, that it was typically lower class uh, people over there became priests. No, it wasn't really a lower class thing. It was it was something very good. But my like if my dad is mind, his son should be like him. Yeah, should be a doctor like him. Yeah, were your 
raised in a, a very Catholic home? Yeah, it was very Catholic. We went to masses, masses every Sunday. We said our night prayers every day together. Yeah. And morning prayers together. Yeah. Yeah, it was very Catholic, practicing Catholic. Right. Very well, yeah. And where did you fall? You said there were seven kids, four uh, birth and three adopted. Uh, I am the second last. So you're at the end. Yeah. And were there boys ahead of you as well? One. One boy? One boy, yes. Others are girls. Okay. So only two boys. So the two boys, you know, Dad has big hopes for the boys. They're going to be like him and successful and when successful in the economic uh, sphere. Had your parents ad, uh, adjusted to the idea of you playing soccer at that point? They thought you were going to be a soccer star? Yeah, I think my mom had and she had begun liking it. Yeah. Uh, my dad didn't still accept it. Yeah. But he, I think she, she, he only allowed it because my mom lo- loved it. So. Yeah. Yeah. So moving ahead... You tell them you're going to be a priest, what what happens? So when I tell my parents I'm going to be a priest, my dad says, absolutely not. <laughs> so at least for Soga, he didn't tell me that, but he says, no, you can't become a priest. I say, why? I can't become what I, whatever I want to become. He said, you can't become a priest. And of course, his reason was, no one is a priest in your family, but I need as an excuse. I said, well, I'm going to be the first one. So uh, I went to the church, our parish. I talked to the priest. I told him, I don't become a priest. The priest told me, oh, by the way, I was going to the seminar right now, and they're doing interviews. If you want, I can take you right now. I said, sure, why not? <laughs> so I go, I go to this seminary, I do the interviews, we come back home, and uh, I didn't tell my parents that I did the interview. They had no clue that I went to the interviews. And even me, I forgot about it. So on Christmas, so normally, like, the post office in Uganda is not very good. So normally get our mails either from your parish or the place of work, but not in your homes. So, like, here when you have announcements, end of mass, normally what they do, they used to read those of mails <laughs> in the parish office. So and so have the mails. So my mom and my dad always receive their mails at their workplace, not at, not at the church. So on Christmas, after mass, Christmas vigil, they read those of males, and my parents' name is read. Say, hmm, what's going on? So after mass, then they go to the office to pick up the mail. So I'm just sitting back in the car. They open it, and it's my admission to the seminary. My dad reads it, sends it to my mom. My mom reads it. They keep quiet, but we're going back home. Then my mom asked me, Martin, can I ask you a question? I said, yes. Did you go and take an interview in the, se- in the seminary? I said, oh, yeah, I did. She told me, and when were you think of telling us? I said, oh, I forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay. So then I was excited to say, so have, have I been admitted? So they all kept quiet. Then my mom said, yes, you have an admission here. Then I was so excited. And my dad right away said, I hope and pray they kick you out. <laughs> Which, did your mom want you to be a priest? No, but she was already supporting me, whatever I wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So when you said, oh, I forgot, was it really the case that you were, uh, you didn't want to hear their reaction? No, actually, after doing the interview, the whole thing, you know, it was a holiday and my friends coming and families, I forgot about it. Yeah. So how old are you now? 14 still? Uh, I was 14. Yeah. And when does seminary begin? The seminary now opens in January 
and so you go to seminary within a month. And what what city is the seminary in? Uh, the seminary is in uh, it's outside outside Kampala. So it's like uh, maybe like uh, twenty miles from Kampala. Okay, what and that's where you is this minor seminary? Yeah, it's minor seminary. And so tell us what that's like. Oh, uh, it's like all boys, second like secondary school, I mean high school boys. Yeah, and uh, they range from uh, for ten to seven ten because it's a whole high school. And uh, so it was good. Like it's normal seminary. Wake up in the morning at five in the morning. We take shower, go to cha- go to the chapel. We call it the chapel, which was our church. We do morning prayers. There's meditation for thirty minutes. Then there is mass. Then breakfast. Then regular classes begin: physics, chemistry, biology, Latin, Bible, all the different classes. Classes end at five p.m. So, but in between, have lunch at one. Then I talk about classes. Then after that, we go for sports, basketball, lawn tennis, soccer. So it was like any other high school already. Yeah. Like, yeah. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. So uh, we haven't really talked about any of this stuff before, so I could be wrong. But my guess is that aunt whose son died, your cousin, she probably went around town talking to everybody about her, her aunt. Um, nephew that was in the seminary uh, absolutely she was very excited actually i think she was yeah the, she was the happiest in my ordination yeah yeah so uh, and she bragged about you everywhere i'm sure did your parents come around oh yeah yeah how long uh so my mom she was okay afterwards well after high school seminary then uh, i went to the college seminary uh, so Thomas let me ask Finals. you a question about that yeah. how many people of your minor seminary went to the college seminary Oh, uh, from how our, our class, yeah, graduating class, we graduated when we were sixty-five. Uh, like thirty-five went to thirty-five went. So that's half. That's pretty good. Yeah. Over in this country, it's like it, it's been like one percent. You know. Oh yeah, and I think yeah. uh yeah, a lot of them went. Even the you know when we had these seminaries like, uh, you know. Quigley. Uh, yes, Quigley, exactly. Yeah. Quigley North and South and St. Joseph. None of these these people all got the free Catholic high school and then they didn't go to seminary. So um, go <laughs> go ahead and tell us what what it's like, you, you know, as far as the major seminary. So the major seminary is mainly uh, a philosophic a philosophicum. So like a co- it's a college. Mm-hmm. And we do philosophy classes. And uh, on top of that, you have to do something else. So I was doing physics and philosophy. Mm-hmm. In college, so for three years, that was what I was doing. So those were your strengths. Yeah. So so you have to choose. Uh, philosophy was required. Everyone has to do yeah. philosophy, but then you have to choose something else. Others chose history, bio. Yeah. So I loved physics. So that tells me you're a really smart guy. Well, sometimes. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> physics is a is. A, I'm a lawyer, in probably in part because I I wouldn't be able to do physics, wouldn't be able to get better than a C. And then if I had to do the second level course, it'd be worse. <laughs> so that that's tough stuff, physics. But you loved it. What was it about physics you liked? Uh, was it was me- mechanical physics, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So did you keep going with soccer? You know, while you did you keep pl- playing soccer in the seminaries? Yeah, I, I used to play in the semi in the seminary. Do they have a team? They have teams, yeah. And I was always the captain, I think, from. And would they play schools outside of the seminary? Yep, in our regular schools, like. And so were you the star of that? I used to be, but then the danger is that uh, I had to cut it back because every time I was playing, 
uh, teams were reaching out to me. Trying to get you to play yeah. for their team. Yeah, and I had, had no interest in that. Yeah. And uh, when I went to college, I also right away in the first year, first day, I joined the, the, the college team. And again, we were playing. So in college, we used to play against uh, real teams in the, in the National League. Like for their preseason, they come yeah. and train with us. And all the time, we're training, bothering with the same thing, phone calls, this and this and this. But of course, I'd also, I knew what I wanted to say. Now I'm not coming back to that life. Yeah, no, that was it tempting at all? It was kind of not really because I'd made up my mind. Wow. That's just, you know, that's amazing. You know what I mean? Because uh, you're sacrificing from the perspective of an American. You know, you're, you're, pers- you're sacrificing so much that, you know, how do you not look back? It's like, oh, I can still be a star. I can still have the girls and the cars and all the rest of that stuff but no no i'm going to be a priest i'm i made up my mind at age 14 mm-hmm. and i'm not looking back but yeah. that's the way it was i, I think when the, the moment i made that decision i got uh, a very peaceful mind wow so i knew what i wanted i was yeah. at peace with my decision so so you graduate uh from the seminary and had you thought about where you were going to be a priest no, actually, so after college, uh, there's always a six-month to eight-month of pastoral internship. Right. And uh, so the letters came. I was sent to the seminary to teach, uh, to a high school seminary, the minor seminary. So that's over, the over in uh, Africa still. Africa, yeah. Whereby all my friends were in parishes doing stuff. Yeah. I was into teaching, which, yeah. was, which was fun. It was okay. Yeah. So most of the teachers whom I was teaching with them stuff were also my former teachers. It was kind of interesting being on stuff with them, listen to their conversation now. So I th- so I was teaching physics and Latin during that time. And uh, after my past year, first past internship, then uh, we have to go to a major seminary like Mon- St. Mary's Mandeline yeah. f- f- to do your theology studies. Right. So my classmates received their uh, admissions to different, semi- <coughs> different seminaries in Uganda. And I didn't receive mine. So the first thought which came to my mind said, oh my God, my dad has won. Because <laughs> I thought they had kicked me out. So <laughs> <laughs> because all my point was to prove him wrong that they won't kick me out. Yeah. So then uh, I got the phone call. I phone, I called my bishop and say, hey, all my friends have had their admissions and I don't have mine. What's going on? So the bishop calls me and says, count my office tomorrow. I said, uh-oh, this may not be good news. <laughs> so when I showed up in his office, he told me, I have good news and bad news. I said, which one do you want first? I said, I want the good news first. So okay. So the good news is you're going to the seminary. Say, and the bad news? And the bad news, you're going out of the country. Say, okay, that's bad, not bad, it's too bad, you know, I can handle that. So you have, you have a choice, you can go either to Rome, you're going to go to Spain, you're going to go to the U.S. So I'd been to Rome a couple of times, and I, I saw it as a tallest place, really. So I didn't like to be there studying. And so what was, I'm sorry, what was the objection to Rome? Yeah, so, so I was from so many times. I'd been oh, to Rome yeah, a couple yeah, of yeah, times. Oh, yeah, 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 you've already seen uh, it. Been there, done that. I've seen it, yeah. everything, I know. Yeah. I don't like to be stuck there. So then uh, I thought of Spain. I've been there in Barcelona playing soccer. I knew that would be more tempting and more... Mm-hmm bring back more memories I don't like to uh, then I said I'll go to the US so he said okay that's good news so then I said okay so in the US you have three options you can go to St. Paul 
Minneapolis. You can go to Chicago in one line, or you can go to St. John in California. I said, okay, what I know about California is only Arnold Schwarzenegger, Hollywood. Because <laughs> I enjoyed the movies. Okay, that's not bad enough. Then I, So St. Paul, Minneapolis was already off my list because I couldn't even pronounce the name. So yeah. That's off. <laughs> so then Chicago, I knew about two things in Chicago. I knew about Michael Jordan and Al Capone. <laughs> so then I said, well, since I like Michael Jordan, I'm going to go to Chicago. Yeah. The whole world liked Michael Jordan, didn't they? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. He's a, he's a nice guy. He's very you know traditional. Yeah. I mean, m my wife's Greek, and so we'd go over to Greece, and all our cousins wanted to talk about was Michael Jordan. Yeah. I, I don't blame them. Yeah. He's, he's a yeah. very nice guy. I think he's a very good icon yeah. in the world. Yeah. So all the kids who play basketball always look at Michael Jordan. Number 23. That's just everyone wants to have. Yeah. So I told, I told my bishop, I'm going to Chicago. Then he said, Okay. Wait a minute. When I was in his office, he gets his phone. He calls Colonel George. So they spend some time talking. And then after the phone call, he tells me, good luck with snow. <laughs> I asked him, well, what is snow? He said, you'll find out when you're there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so y you go to seminary in Mundelein. What's that like for you, a, a guy that uh, there weren't any other... Um, people from Africa were there uh, actually there's there some guys from Nigeria there were okay of them um, from uh, Tanzania to yeah. study for Chicago was it a culture shock though with just the surrounding area and everything else I think yeah it's, it's a culture shock when you come in here because yeah. you're coming from a very tiny small country yeah which is uh, not very developed you come here, so everything develops. You see, the, you see the highways; those are the always interesting things. I think the highways here, how nice well. Do you have anything as pretty in Africa as Mundelein Seminary? Because I, I don't know that there's a prettier campus anywhere in America. It's, it's well, there's some campuses that are pretty, but I think Mundelein is really very good. I think it's yeah. very organized. It's very really everything is it's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Has a very good environment to be. Get the deers stuff. running across the roads all the time, and but with the winter, yeah. it's snowing the winters, everything is white. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and yeah, it's a very beautiful campus. So I was then. Nothing's uh, not brick. I mean, it's all. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, so it's so huge, isn't it? It's a huge campus, nice place. I had very wonderful friends, very wonderful teachers there. Father Martin Bonham was my close friend. It was a professor, and was living in my calm. So I think like like me because we have share we share the same name. Uh, so uh, it was very good. So I was there for four years, from uh, two thousand nine to two thousand thirteen. And then you have a decision: Do I go back to Africa, or do I stay? Naturally, sure, I, I didn't have hard decision on that. In two thousand twelve, Colonel George came to join us as deacons. He asked me, "Don't you want really want to stay?" I said, "No, I'm going back to Uganda." So it was that easy. Say, so, oh, well, well, I'll talk to your bishop, like that. So for nation, then in 2013, I went back to Uganda. I was ordained a priest. I spent the first year working for my, my bishop as his secretary. Uh, then I was also teaching at the seminary sometime. And I was also the director of interreligious dialogue and ecumenism in the diocese. Had all things to toss around. He was giving you a lot of responsibilities. Oh, yeah, so which, which was good because it wanted me to work give me exposure to different offices and different pastoral activities. 
So then uh, the following year, 2014, my bishop sent me back to study. Fresh my STL mandolin. Then I went to along, I did my masters at Loyola. And then thus I ended up in St. Joe's for the trout inviting me. St. Joe's. And so at what point did you s- decide you're not going back to Africa, you're staying here? I think I'll, I'll go back to Africa. Uh, I'm staying here because I like St. Joe's. Father Trout invited me. and uh, So you still might go back to Africa? Yes, I will. Okay, yeah. you I will. will? I will, yeah. Okay, and we're going to be so sad. But your mom will be so happy. Oh, I don't think so. I think she's happy because I'm here. <laughs> oh, does she like coming over here to see you? She doesn't no. come, but I think one day she yeah. will. I think the reason why she's happy, when I was ordained in Uganda, yeah. I was so busy. I didn't have time to see her. Yeah. Sometimes she's called me maybe in the mo- at 8 a.m. in the morning. I'm already gone for the day. I come back at midnight. I can call her back. She's already asleep. <laughs> but when I'm here, I call her every week. She's, so she says, I, at least I hear from you when you were there. <laughs> yeah. And what? so where are your parents at now on the fact that you're a priest? Oh, they're fine with it. They're very happy with it. Yeah. Uh, Does your dad realize that you may be able to help him get to heaven? Well, the day before I was ordained a priest, he came and asked me, do you really want to become a priest? I said, yes. Yeah. Then he said, then you have my blessing. That's wonderful. So it took me him that long, but yeah. then he accepted Isn't it so important to have a, for a boy to have their dad's approval? Yeah, I think it's I think it's good because uh, uh, the Bible tells, tells us very clear our blessings begin from our parents. Yeah. God blesses us first through our parents. Right. So, Father, before we began today, we were talking about, you know, the fact that you were an early vocation, age 14, and how few vocations there are in America. And, and we were discussing the fact that most of the priests that are coming out of Moneyline Seminary right now are not American-born. What's going on, in your opinion, having been here for a number of years now, why Americans aren't becoming priests? From my, what I've observed is uh, goes back to our culture, American culture. And American culture, I think, uh, very few people can say that God is a priority in their lives. And uh, if God is not a priority for you in your life, you, you, you won't even think about God most of the time. But uh, if God was a priority, you make your priorities very right, you know that, okay, God loves me, then you can be, you're always available to God. And then you can hear God's voice and God's calling you. But our culture, I think, we put uh, material stuff ahead of everything. So I need to get to pay off, I, ha- I need to get a good job, good money, pay off my loan, pay off my uh, mortgage. So those are priorities, take care of the material stuff. So in that situation, I don't think parents are going to encourage their kids to become priests. Because the kids grow up not seeing it from their homes. So who's want to be a priest? So that's, you, you realize that uh, that's the main thing I see, that the culture has to change. Yeah, Cardinal Dolan said that we only have a vocation crisis because we have a family crisis. And he said if we had strong Catholic families, the seminaries, it'd be overflowing. But we don't have strong Catholic families. I mean, most you know Catholics, just like most other Americans, are in marriages are ending in divorce. Now it's up to about 46% of all children are born out of wedlock in America. Beyond that, you know, even when there is a marriage, I mean, how many times is, is the family's, does the family's life center around Christ and the faith? Very rare, right? It's very rare. What you realize is that uh, when the parents are having everything okay, I can say okay in the sense that uh, we don't have any crisis, 
So their life is they settle for the, what they have. So they don't really feel challenged at all. What is what is God asking me? So I th- always think about God. Maybe when it, when a crisis hits, think of what happened in September 11th. I think the churches were failed. I was reading the book about that. Churches were failed again. The primary thing is we must realize that uh, it lasted a, r- a few months, huh? 9/11 and everybody's going to church, and then you know by 02 they're they're not going. So that's why worries uh, wait for those crises. But I think the problem we realize that even when kids are growing up in home, they don't see God as a priority, and they don't see good spiritual models in their families and homes, or even in their communities. So apart from the sexual crisis and this kind of hard, that has just made it worse. But uh, you can see that uh, this has been lacking that our society wasn't making God the priority. Yeah. And if God's not the priority, you can expect your kids to become priests from nowhere. Right. Is abortion a big thing over in Africa? It's not, it's not a big thing because it's illegal. And uh, It's illegal. It's illegal. But even, but even not being a law that it's illegal, people know that uh, it's life. People know life belongs to God. So not too many people get abortions. No. Whereas over here, you know, African-American communities, three out of five pregnancies end in abortion. And, you know, the larger population is not that much better. I mean, it's better, but it's not a ton. So abortion is always the answer over here. And, you know, I think you're right that we do it for selfish reasons that, you know, this is going to cost me economically or I'll have to put some uh, plans on hold. They don't think that way over there, huh? No, it's because I think uh, it goes back to the whole idea, the ethos of the of the, so- the community uh, in Africa, but if particularly in Uganda, our societies are still really communities. What happens in your house, and I, uh, I'm part of it. What happens in your life, I'm part of it. And so that's like the Catholic ideal that we live in community, right? That's what that's what's supposed to be. Right. So America, you know, they talk about rugged individualism, and that people. Uh, pull themselves up by the bootstraps. You know, everybody else is irrelevant. You do things on your own. But that's not Catholic. Catholic, we're called to live in community and be responsible for each other to some level. Absolutely, because God serves us as a community. Mm-hmm. And then individual relationships come in. But first is like as a community. It first builds, you see, you, what Jesus does, he first begins to build a community, brings them together, and tells, teaches them the importance of the community is service. Yes. So then you can work on your spiritual growth, but also the first thing is going to be the produce, the community. Do you feel as though hearts are harder in America than they are over in Africa? Uh, one of another thing it is, because it, they've been conditioned to think that way. Yeah. They've been conditioned to think that's the norm, that's the tradition, and everything you're going to do has to go fast, myself fast. Yes. I think of myself first, my family first, my it's always me first, me first tendons. But uh but then you don't ask yourself what do you really need? Right. We always ask what I want, not what you really need. Yes. So Father, something that I think that you could speak to so you were this national soccer star at age thirteen, at age fourteen you're deciding to go into the priesthood and to take a vow of celibacy for the rest of your life. And in America, you know, we live in such a pornographic culture and even my, you know, my own kids, um, I don't point fingers at them because it's so hard to be a young boy right now that if they fall or if they, you know, I see something on their phone that shouldn't be there, 
you know, I, I'm not too judgmental because it's it's such a battle. Mm-hmm. How what would you say to young American males that live in this country as far as human sexuality and battling with those urges and those temptations? Because you've lived it. Yeah. I think the one thing you must know is that uh, they have a life ahead of them. The first thing they should know, they have a, a life ahead of them. And sexuality is a gift God has given you. Well, that gift has the right time of using that gift. So it's always tempting because the society is telling them it's okay to you to, to have sex at this age. It's okay. And as long as you don't get pregnant, it's okay. This is the whole world, you don't get pregnant. But I think they're losing, they're forgetting the most important thing that this sexuality is a gift God has given me. And as a gift, I should protect it. Until time comes to share with someone I really love, share with my gift with. So when people use it sex as just for satisfaction, for fun, I think that's where we, that we end up even breaking more and more our moral standards and code. Because there's nothing, somebody will say, what's important about marriage? It's about sex. But so marriage is not about sex. It's about relationships. But when the kids grow up into this very pornographic world, they're seeing Hollywood, they think that's the life. Right. But you ask yourself, is Hollywood the real life? You see, ex- I'm going to examples, things we see that are uh, real housewives on TV. Who really lives like that If you in real life? No one lives like that. Right. Th- that's a show. Right. But th- it comes to people's mind. So they glamorize sleeping around. They idolize that thing that, oh, this is how it should be. But yeah. even those people acting, they don't live like that. Yes. So it has to come for us in a college. How do parents really prepare their kids? Talk about these things. Talk about these values. And most parents have time for this. Or they don't want, or they don't have time, or they don't care. So I think it goes back to the family relationships. Do, do you have a, a very fundamental conversation with your daughter, with your son? Hey, son, this and this and this and this. I think it begins with the families back. You have to go back to the foundations, or is the families. So, you know, I went to Catholic schools my whole life. And my parents were Catholic, um, but they would never have thought to talk to me about sex. I mean, we went over to the Jesuit dorm in high school, and, and they talk about sex. Some of what they said, depending on the priest you drew, would, wouldn't necessarily be right or wouldn't be in conformity with what the Catholic Church teaches. So, But you're saying that parents should really talk to their kids about sex and, and the purpose and all that. Well, if you don't talk to them, someone else will talk to them. Yes. And you may not like that conversation they'll bring up with them and the ideas they'll put into their heads. Yes. So I think it goes back to the parents who have a genuine conversation. These kids, they are kids, but they're growing. Right. And they have to face these challenges. Yeah. So if you don't talk to them, the internet will talk to them. Right. The Hollywood will talk to them. So I know, I mean, we all come from a different prism or, or uh, perspective from which we see the world. I, I just see that as the greatest obstacle cross the greatest challenge for men in today's world and culture is just that it is so much there is so much sex out there and that um it's it's a real battle it's a battle because the culture is telling us that that's the biggest thing in the world and uh, when you know that life is more than that right you come back and ask yourself how do i want to live my life Yes. And who, who forms my ideas, my opinions? Because right now, I think uh, most people are being formed by Hollywood. Everything is coming from Hollywood. That's something. Everything is from TV. So okay, I had something on TV. It must be true. But there's not this critical moment of analyzing right. what is which is out there. 
that's being fed to you. Right. And so also we're being kind of told that um, same-sex, you know, um, behavior is fine and that there's no problems with it and that um, that's what the world's teaching us. And even the church is afraid to, you know, really be strong on that. Um, I think that maybe they're afraid to offend. I don't know. You know, we want it, it, it's t- it's a tough, the, the whole, you know, homosexuality, it's a tough thing because you do want to be compassionate. You do want to be empathetic. Um, people may be born that way. You know what I mean? There's no, we don't know. And how do you do that, but how do you do it in truth? Uh, I think the truth will always be true, no matter who says it. And when or where it is said. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus tells us the truth will set us free. Yeah, same man. And uh, the problem is that we're afraid so much now to be identified as maybe not welcoming or you're not sensitive you're not but somebody tells us that uh, we should help our brothers and sisters in a kind way he said but help them yes so i think the challenge you have today is that uh, we have to look at uh, what's going on the culture is forming us what's what is going wrong in our culture and address these issues and uh, just because uh, uh we forget who we are doesn't mean we don't know who we are Right. As Christians, our foundation is the Bible. Right. And it's God forming us, telling yes. us who we are. I, w- I think that, you know, like we talked about in terms of economically the, and societally, the Catholic Church preaches community. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the obstacles in America is we have these phones, hmm. and we're becoming increasingly isolated. It's important that men have groups together, women that have groups together, and that we come together as people of faith, and that we we don't sit and judge, but we try to help each other grow in holiness. Absolutely, that's the whole point: is that uh, we grow together. And I think the biggest danger we have, is you see, it even in our political world today, that uh, people don't, don't even talk, don't even listen to each other. Everyone else thinks he wants to prove their point. Right. But uh, pride drives it all, right? That's the end results. I am the right. I have to do this. I have to get in my way. But right, I know better than all these people. So then, what they have to say is less important. So everyone has the same thing to say as yes. anyone else. You bring it, your, your gifts to the table. Yes. We'll communicate. We we'll listen to each other. How do we make ourselves better today? Do you have a vocation crisis in Africa at all? We don't. Yeah, that's beautiful. And so the African, what can we do to get? Since we have such a vocation crisis in America. And such a bad sinner like myself needs the sacrament of reconciliation, and he needs the Eucharist. I got to. We got to get some more African priests to come over here. How how are we going to do that? Well, I think even before we bring African priests here, we have well, first we have to go back to our communities and uh, ask ourselves, how do we come back to be a community God wants us to be? Yes. Because our vocations are going to flourish from communities, not from individual isolations right so as a community if i know it's my role to bring my family to the church not just to say mass and run away i mean st joe's it's a great parish of so many people but uh i don't know most of the people yeah and that's very scary if, right. if i call my brother and my sister and i don't yeah. know you that's really not right. doesn't do justice to the right call. and as much as i'd like to have you stay here i'm sure the fact that you know you're a strong male that um was a big star athlete and what have you that when little boys see you and they see that you're a priest you know they think wow must be something cool about being a priest this guy he, he could have been like the soccer player that i want to be or, or what have you and he chose that and so 
that's a big sell over in Africa when they see you and they know your story. Absolutely. And when I talk to the kids, uh, even here in our school or in our tents, I tell them what I, I try to represent is what life is all about. Life is not about what you take in, it's what you give out. Yes. Do you intend to get back to soccer and coaching at all when you get back over there at some point? At some point I will. Uh, as for now, I am helping to coach uh, eighth graders in St. Joe's. So last year I began. And they you were their soccer coach? Yes, they did great. Actually, they won the championship game. Wow. So that is awesome. It, so. so do you follow the World Cup and all that? I do, yes, I do. Actually, sometimes it's more fun looking at some of the players. Yeah. When I know them. Yeah. I know, I know that guy. I knew that guy. Yeah. So do you do you watch it at home or do you go to a uh, a tavern where they're they're wearing the shirts and carrying the flags and stuff or what do you do? No, I always watch in the house with uh, Father Trout. He loves yeah. soccer. So he's a soccer fan too. Ireland's not that great in soccer though. Well, they're trying their best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Father. I just want to wrap it up, but it has been such an honor and a blessing to have you. You are a true inspiration. You are a gift from God to St. Joseph's and into the WSFI community, and we're so honored to have you as an inductee into the Sports Faith Hall of Fame. Thank you for your vocation. I bet you your aunt has your picture in a, in a prominent place in her house back in Africa. So, Father, would you mind closing us in a blessing? Sure, I'll just thank God for this morning thanking us for the so many gifts he has given us and also open up our hearts to God's calling. And we may say, be able to say, here I am, I come to do your will. We ask for the blessings today and always in our families, especially those who are struggling. We ask for God's blessing and peace among them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.